again and this time we bring you the last interview from our Red Pet event on 20th of February that we attended at Techquartier here in lovely Frankfurt. This time we have of course an interview that is very densely packed with information but of course it was once again conducted by our Gareth. Hey, how are you doing man? Good dude. Uh, yeah, I mean Dr. Kirilenko, man, just listening to him for just 10 minutes was an experience not just in terms of you know the information he has but the depth of knowledge that he has the guy has been a professor at mit sloan the guy has been the chief economist at the cftc if you guys don't know what the cftc is it's one of the chief regulating bodies for uh, the financial markets in the u.s yeah, so, and, and right now he's the director of Center for Global Finance and Technology. So a really interesting guy to talk to. And before you can even start to understand the densely packed information that Professor Kirilenko is here providing, we should clarify a few terms that he's talking about as well as Gareth. One of them mean trading. So just imagine you stand with a lot of people in a dark room and you trade like gummy bears and you hand over the gummy bear to the next person you don't see who it is and then the light goes on and now it becomes clear with whom you have been trading and this is the clearing process of course it's much much more complicated but it gives you a, an idea and then you ask him oh where should i put the gummy bear Oh, please put it over there and you ask where should I put the money Oh, please put it there and that's basically also the process of the settlement of course in reality it's much more complex but it gives you a little bit of the idea especially when you're trading on capital markets and the clearing turns out you traded with a party somewhere in Arabia and they tell you you need to settle the securities somewhere in an area you have never worked with, you get part of the complexity of international capital markets as well as clearing and settlement. And he's also talking about the back office. That's usually at the end of the process queue of trading. And it's basically the area where you um, hold the securities if you have physical securities. And it's the area where you have things like accounting, regulatory reporting and all of this stuff. So it's the area where many people work with lots of manual labor and lots of computing power. Gareth, more information from you so our listeners can understand. Dude, thanks a lot for that detailed explanation. And I think, I think you know, you've done, really done it justice. I, even if I had tried, I could not have explained it in such simple terms. And I was actually sort of assuming that people know what clearing is, what uh, settlement is, and what trading is. Uh, great shout out and big thank you to, them, to my great friend Elias. He is now turning four years old. And that was the explanation how he started to understand trading. <laughs> so if any of you guys is four years old, I'm sure you'll understand. And if you don't, <laughs> and if you guys don't then you're dumber than Elias. No, just kidding. You, you guys are awesome. Thank you for hanging in there and giving us the support and the, and the love. So uh, Dr. Kirlenka, as I was talking uh, earlier, as I was saying earlier, he's an expert in finance and technology, and his talk was about blockchains. 
and how blockchains can be used in uh, banking and finance and and trading and the advantages of advantages of blockchains in uh, for financial institutions and what is a blockchain so he is also sort of demystified some of the jargon that is being used and uh, he advises us to steer clear from the jargon if you really want to understand what blockchains blockchains is if you guys are thinking about blockchains in terms of mining and bitcoin and all these things well that's different i mean that also uses the blockchains technology but it's slightly different the, the use of blockchains in finance is very very different from bitcoin mining anyway i don't want to keep you guys uh, waiting too long before we get to the interview so here we go before i leave of course we'll have lots of densely packed information in the show notes as well just go to www.startuprate.io and click through the show notes and of course you remember sharing is caring thank you guys bye bye i startup radio this is gaurav from tech quartier and today we are here with dr Andrei Kirilenko and he is from Imperial College and he just gave a talk here about blockchains and regtech. Dr. Kirilenko, can you please introduce yourself and then talk about talk some more about your your uh, startup your your center at Imperial College. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for having me here. It's a it's a pleasure. Um, I'm Andrei Kirilenko. I am the director of the Center for Global Finance and Technology at the Imperial College Business School in London. Um, Prior to uh, to coming to Imperial College, I was a professor of finance at, at MIT Sloan, and before that, I was on the regulatory side in the U.S. I was chief economist of the U.S. Commodity Futures Trading Commission. So, I have exposure to uh, finance. I have exposure to uh, regulation. I have exposure to technology. Uh, Imperial College uh, is like MIT of the U.K. It's a technology campus with with, with a business school attached to it. And uh, we, we pride ourselves on, on, on our technology education. And I think the future of finance, in a way, is technology. That's why I was at MIT. That's why I'm at, I'm at Imperial now, because, uh, uh, because of computers, basically, to, to, to give a short answer. Uh, computers, uh, once they were introduced into finance, uh, made things better, cheaper, faster, and, and they applied sort of Moore's law uh, Potential to uh, to uh, to finance finance, which is a which is a profession that studies value and, and risks, consists of l- large parts of finance have to do with transactions. So transactions are typically operations that are in in, in a lot of cases very very similar. And uh, you know there's a buyer, there's a seller. You know they, they buy and sell you know stocks, bonds, swaps, uh, futures. Of exchange traded funds, uh, you name it, and uh, it's it's the same thing that's being done all the time. And computers are better at it than humans, because they're fantastic at processing, uh, at, at at doing the same thing over and over again. What they're not necessarily good at, uh, compared to humans, is is some of the not yet at least is is some of the cognitive tasks, and and uh, one of the things that that we're trying to do in the center is to build research on um, fundamental research on what does it mean for technology to enter finance I'm primarily known in the, in, in the finance profession from my work on algorithmic and high frequency trading as that is technology moving into into uh, trading in, in organized markets um, now technology is also moving into clearing into back office into uh, asset management or robo advising and the questions are 
what is the fundamental paradigm that's being challenged uh, when, when technology moves into the space? This is where, where we've done a bit of research. I'd be happy to talk to you about what we think about it. Uh, thank you very much, sir. Uh, you, your talk was related to blockchains. And in which areas do you see this, this new technology being, implement, being used in terms of uh, clearing and trading technologies or clearing and trading functions in exchanges and banks? Yes, thank you very much. The, the, um, let's first of all define what the blockchain is, and we'll try to not use the jargon that, that you're typically exposed to when you go read about blockchain in uh, you know, Wall Street Journal or Financial Times or The Economist where you, you know, hear things like mining or, or hash or, or crypto or something like that. Um, the gist of my talk, and, and if you'd like to know more about it, uh, I, I will be providing some other educational opportunities, so for example, our imperial executive education and other vehicles, is that the blockchain is a computer. That's how you need to think about it. Uh, blockchain is not a very good computer at this point. Uh, blockchain is, it takes a long time, it's a slow computer. Uh, it's a computer that um, sometimes forgets uh, what it knows. Uh, it's also a computer that uses a lot of power, especially some of the computers, so-called public blockchains, and then they require lots and lots of power to basically complete its operations. And the computer itself, if you look at how computer scientists define computers, is something called a finite state machine. So it, it you know, goes from state n to state n plus one after completing after completing certain tasks. So you can think of blockchains alongside uh, server racks, you can think of blockchains uh, alongside clouds or the you know collections of clouds called fog. So they're basically collections of CPUs organized in, in a particular way. One of the things about blockchain, however, compared to um, compared to uh, uh, cloud computing or compared to uh, server-based computing, is that it's the first global computer. No one can shut it down, and it's also it is natively what's called object-oriented. And that opens up un unbelievable potential because once you start thinking of of, uh, of organizing your, your operation as objects, and objects could be users, objects could be contracts, objects could be firms, and these objects communicate with each other by messages. Messages in, in uh, for example, Bitcoin blockchain, which is one computer, or Ethereum blockchain, which is another computer, Ripple blockchain is a third computer. There are hundreds now of, of these computers that you can think of. And again, they're slow, they're expensive, they, 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 they are suited for a particular task. But think, ask yourself this question. What was the world like before computers and after computers? And that will give you just sort of an understanding of what the potential of blockchain is. It's a computer that basically is a natively global computer that runs on, on a very sort of sophisticated computing technology, which is stable, and uh, no one can shut it down, uh, which is amazing, and no one controls it, and it could still run, it could complete operations, it could complete tasks, it could uh, complete, um, you know, go from state to state, and and the messages in this computer are uh, transactions. So transactions that that are denominated in uh, coins, tokens, uh, cryptocurrencies. They're really an afterthought, uh, but they have value. And the value of this is uh, how much energy essentially this thing uses. 
and what does it do for the energy that it produces, uh, which is sort of the, the, the amazing task. Then you can ask, start asking yourself sort of questions as an economist would. Do I deploy my particular task on a global machine that uses a particular type of energy and is still slow, and but it has the potential? Or maybe I deploy my you know, clearing operations or back office operations or some other operations on the cloud that somebody controls, but it's and that maybe uses less energy, but it's um, it, it it is potentially something that needs to be maintained. Or do I still deploy them on my servers and I hire lots and lots of people, lots and lots of lots of people to do that? So these now become economic decisions. Thank you for that explanation. Now uh, with blockchain, what would be the main advantage of having? Uh, all the stakeholders and all their systems have being updated all the time. Would there, why is it better than having like a central repository of the, the of the data or of the, all the contracts that are being traded or are being cleared? What, what advantage does blockchain propose in having a state machine that is constantly being updated after each and every trade is completed or after a certain period period of time after the trades have been completed? Uh, it definitely has an advantage compared to the servers. So servers, uh, which are primarily, you can think of service as not as, uh, you know, they, they were originally designed. Some of them have, have been redesigned somewhat, but they're originally designed to, to operate on what's called a functional programming approach, where you have a database somewhere, and then you apply functions up to it. Like you have a database, you know, think of an Excel spreadsheet, and they have things stored in the Excel spreadsheet, and then you can apply a function to each cell and then you can output stuff into the other cell. Uh, the problem, there are multiple problems as it compared to, or multiple advantages, let's just say, of, 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 of object orientation compared to functional orientation. One is, in order to apply a function, you need to know everything about the cell. In object-oriented programming, you actually don't need to know much about the cell. It just needs to respond to a particular command. That's all you need to know. So a lot of it can be kept anonymous and private. What If it could be kept anonymous and private, it could be much, much more stable because uh, no one can write and tinker with the code, basically. The code could remain what it is. Each each user and each operation could remain very stable, whereas you know, an Excel spreadsheet that could be modified, you know, things may not work, things may break down, a new iteration of, of the uh, functionality comes out and you need to change everything, you need tons of people to maintain it. It lives on one particular server. It requires specific authentication. It's just like the same as moving, you know, uh, an Excel spreadsheet from from place to place. It's never the same version, or it doesn't open up, or it requires something else. So, whereas in the sort of object-oriented uh, uh, oriented environment, you have the object that it, it either responds to a message or it doesn't respond to a message. It's it's. Uh, Transaction either takes place or it doesn't take place. If you tell it to go do something, it, it will either do it exactly in the right way or it won't do it at all. There are, of course, issues with that, in that as I said, uh, to, to uh, at this point, it sort of resembles computers as, as they were you know, being developed you know, during and after World War II, is that these blockchains are typically uh, you know, expensive to operate. They come with their own programming language, which you sort of need to learn. Uh, they are specific to particular tasks. They only do this and, and nothing else. You need to sort of a stack of them. But uh, 
if, if you project from that, and we have much, much more knowledge now in computer science, so this, this development will happen presumably much, much faster. If you project to how computers changed our lives, so in principle, uh, blockchains could change our lives, uh, financial lives and economic lives. Um, sim similarly, if, if not more. Now we have uh, something, probably each one of you has, has something that is uh, mistakenly labeled as a smartphone. Uh, smartphone is actually not a phone, it's a, it's a handheld computer. Uh, you can use it as one of its many functionalities to, to have audio communication, but can do many, many other things. So each one individual could have multiple blockchains and the purpose of those blockchains would be actually to share computing power was sort of within the global mechanism. Wonderful. Thank you very much for your time. And if you guys are interested, please don't forget to check out the uh, Center for Global Finance and Technology at Imperial College London. They have a wonderful website and you will find out more details about what's the latest in fintech there. Thank you very much, sir.